Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show I chat to Emily Watson and Paul Meskell about their brooding new mother and son drama, God's Creatures. We review John Wick 4 with a very special reviewer. Plus novelist Liz Nugent chats about her favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on News Talk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well and you had a nice St. Patrick's weekend and you enjoyed the rugby, if that's your thing, which was remarkable. I was in a friend's house watching it and her husband, let's call him Brendan, very kindly put on another TV in another room so I could jump in and watch the Everton-Chelsea match at halftime and in quiet moments, which is a very nice, hospitable thing to do for someone I'd never met before. So uh, nice, you know, that's the type of service I expect if you're planning on having me over at your house. I'll email you it what I need. Anyway, good weekend to you all and hooray for Ireland. Now in TV this week, I was watching this. There's things you're able to do that I can't, maybe. Maybe. You've won because you're corrupt and so is the world. Mm. Well, I'm better than you. You're, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, because I love you, but you're kind of evil. Don't talk about things you don't understand. Well, you're smart, but what you've done is you, you've, you've monetized all the American resentments of class and race. Well, I and thought I was just telling folks the weather. You've turned black bile into silver dollars. Oh, you just noticed, did you? Yeah, maybe I did. Yes, it's back. Succession, season four, and the final season lands on Monday nights on Sky Atlantic. It's on Now TV. It's one episode a week. I just got one episode to watch, and it begins where season four kind of, season three kind of left off. It's Logan Roy's birthday, and uh, it's it's good. It's very good. And I don't want to say too much because people love this show. There's a nice bit of drama in it and it is weighing up or is leading up to be a hell of a final season. We've spoken about Succession. I mean, it hasn't been on in a while before on this show. And it is amazing TV. It's, it's prestige TV. It's in the vein of shows like Mad Men and dare I say it, The Sopranos, which as you know, I think is the greatest TV show of all time. In case you don't know, it's all about Logan Roy, played brilliantly by Brian Cox and his four kind of unpleasant children who want to succeed him in his massive media company that he owns. And it is Shakespearean and Machiavellian and all those things in the way they fight it out and duke it out. It's like The Sopranos and things like Mad Men in a way as well, in that it takes huge risks. It's not afraid to slap you in the face with crazy plot twists and yet has the brilliant writing and creation of Jesse Armstrong to back it up. It is 
brilliant TV. If you haven't got into Succession, it's amazing. It really is. It's one of the greatest TV shows ever, I think. And Brian Cox as Logan Roy is stupendous. He really is. So I really enjoyed the first episode of Succession. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens in season four. And Tom, the son-in-law, is in fine form in season four so far. So is cousin Greg. And they are, we were talking on Pat Kenny earlier in the week, that that pairing are the secret sauce of succession. If you know succession, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So TV at its best, prestige TV. Something that isn't prestige TV that I actually hadn't heard about that a friend of mine called me up and said, have you heard about this this week? It's a show on TLC called MILF Manor. And MILF, in case you don't know, is a term designating a mother, a woman in her 40s and 50s, by all accounts, who you would like to engage in sexual intercourse. That's the term. And this bizarre show is a dating show, a hookup show. Now, I even watched this and, you know, be careful when you Google it because all sorts of things can come up. But basically, a group of women go to a fancy resort, I think, in Mexico. They're all aged in their 40s and 50s. And the premise is that there are uh, the same amount of young men who they might start dating and do more with. But the bizarre Oedipal twist, and I'm already uncomfortable, is that each one of those men are the sons of each of the women. Yes, there you go. And I don't know what happens after that because I really didn't want to find out anymore. But just as we were talking about prestige TV, I, I was reminded of something very not prestige TV. You know, Billy Connolly was once bemoaning Big Brother and he was saying there's people sitting at home in their houses watching people sitting at home in their houses and he kind of signaled that this might be the end of TV as we know it. I think Milf Manor might be giving that idea a run for its money so I was just flabbergasted to hear about this. Reality TV has quite literally eaten itself in an Oedipal nightmare. So let me know if you're excited about Succession or God help us if you've watched any of Milf Manor. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. Now something a world away from all of that is the new Irish movie, God's Creatures. I suppose every house around here has the same ghosts. You wonder how they'd tell them all apart if they came back. Mom. <laughs> it's different, isn't he? On entrance, us. Do you reckon? Mother knows. It's exactly like it was back in the day. It's so long ago. I wouldn't get hung up on it if I were you. Try to leave a place. I'm later find it following you. Is Brian in? There's been a claim made by a young woman. Brian says he was at home with you that night. Is that right? He was, yeah. That's a clip from God's Creatures. 
which opens this week and it stars Paul Meskel and Emily Watson, a brooding kind of psychological drama. Emily Watson plays a mother in a fishing village in a, in a very tight-knit community. I think it's set in the 90s, roughly. And her son, played by Paul Meskel, returns, having been away, and she's so happy to see him home. Then Paul is accused of, it's not a spoiler to say, but sexual assault. And his mother must decide who to believe and who to trust and who to protect in all of this. It's Emily Watson playing the mother. Emily Watson is absolutely immense in it. Uh, she does a great Irish accent. Her eyes contain multitudes. Paul Meskel is great as well. Uh, he is the actor du jour and he's great in this as well. It's a dark, brooding drama, very evocative of kind of a fishing community in the west or the northwest of Ireland or, or, or a small town anywhere. Emily Watson uh, is an amazing actress, first saw in Breaking the Waves, that amazing Lars von Trier movie from 1996, which has some similarities to this movie. She's been in everything. Apple Tree Yard, the TV show she was brilliant in. Paul Meskel, what do we say about Paul Meskel? Uh, I call him the actor du jour. You know, normal people after sun. So they are both in God's Creatures, which is on release from this Friday, the 24th. I got to sit down with them in a hotel in Dublin recently. And I should say it was recorded a couple of weeks ago. So I did ask Paul Meskel about the upcoming Oscars. Hi, guys. Lovely to see you. Emily, if I can start with you, the, the heart of this movie is really a mother's love for a son. And if that can change over time or if that is just a constant throughout life is that kind of what spoke to you when you got the script i mean it may not be but that's what struck me as a dad i guess i read it um really as a greek tragedy that it's greek about a, yes it's about an obsessional love that a mother has for her son and how and that their relationship there's as soon as you see it there's something off um and her love for him is enabling, um, and um, I think that you know the sort of seeds of tragedy are inbuilt in that. Mm. Paul, you know, there's a vagueness to the movie that's kind of interesting because your character arrives as this charming kind of stranger into their lives, and most people are delighted to see him again. Not everyone, and then things change, and by the end of it, you know, he's the villain or is he? Like, because people take different things when they watch a movie. So I suppose I'm asking you, is he wholly a bad guy or is that just for up to everyone to decide? I don't think anybody is an absolute, absolute in any capacity, but I, what I think is like the film doesn't hold back any punches on is like what he does, he does. And I don't think it's like trying to infer that there's any gray area with okay. that. Or th that's my reading on it. Yeah. But I don't think that that's in the reality of the world, people who op operate and do something like that aren't totally bad. It's like, and, and, and I think that that is a conversation that we need to have. It's about, it's not excusing behavior, but it's also just the nature of um, humanities that we operate in these kind of like gray areas of like, cra human beings are crazy. And what I think is like, what I love about the film is that it doesn't apologize for its opinion on what happens but what it is showing you very clearly is the fallout of it mm -hmm. and what happens after sexual assault and rape and the damage mm -hmm. that that causes and why as a community are we banned like 
banding around and uttering this kind of code of silence to protect this young man who's clearly done what he's done. And that's, to me, what, what is most upsetting and scary about the film. Yeah. Emily, it's very dark and there's beautiful shots in it as well. And yet there's, you know, fish heads being cut up and really nasty cold water and all. Was it a, a grimy set to be on? I know you've been on all sorts of sets for a long time now, but was there a, an earthiness to it? The, we did, the first thing we did was the fish factory and that was pretty full on. That was freezing cold and a lot of blood and chopping fish scales and smell and, you know, and... Uh, that was actually a great way to start because it earths you right in the place, you know. Um, it's anti-glamorous in every sense yeah. of the word. Yeah. yeah, with those nice blue hats. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Aidan Gillen said to me once, people are obsessed with accents in this business and it's mostly journalists. But I just have to say, I thought your accent was pretty bang on. Was there a, Do you work at that for a long time or are you just yes. Irish in you or something? Or? Well, I do have a good ear and I have spend a lot of time here working but I, I'm i I'm not good enough to just be able to nail it I have to really really study yeah. Paul your accent wasn't bad either I have to say <laughs> was was that water looked very cold really when you were in it was really yeah. cold yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and there was no stunt doubles obviously you were acting and flailing about it no 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 yeah the, the yeah I, I, I would always want to do that kind of stuff because that's part of the fun of it it's yeah. like it's kind of you get to be a child and jump into cold water and then I, I don't know, like, I mean, that day, the, the last scene that me and Emily have together in the film was yeah. a particularly cold day. We were pulled off the water at a certain point because... To go and have a hot shower. We were, we were told we were... Go back again. Yeah, 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 we were told we were borderline hypothermic. Yeah. So they yanked us off the water. We were, no, no, I want to no, do no, it again. Yeah, I want to yeah. get out. Yeah. <laughs> Emily, I was actually thinking the first film I ever saw you in was Breaking the Waves, and not to age you, but that was... I was 20 when I saw it. There's slight similarities in this, though. The yes. water, obviously, sacrificing stuff for love. I just remember at the time, as a 20-year-old, being shocked by that movie because I was an innocent abroad. Was it that, and you got Oscar nominated and all that, did it seem like a, I don't know, a revolutionary movie to you at the time? It felt like a revolution personally for me at the time because I was suddenly like a door opened into a world of creativity that I had no idea really existed but I wasn't really aware of the world of film and where what its place was so I didn't know with hindsight I yeah. can see you know how it was but um yeah I can see the similarities as well very much that sense of being at the edge of the earth wrestling with huge things huge things Paul it seems like Three years ago, I'm sure everyone says that you, I didn't know who you were, and yet here we are, Oscar nominated, blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on, all the things we could talk to you about. Have you caught a breath? Because it seems to me, looking in, my God, a lot has happened to this guy in three yeah. years. No, a lot has happened, yeah. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that, like, like literally, like, the, the dream is that so, something like this would happen. Yeah. And I think... It's my obligation to just put my head down and work hard because it's like I'm being afforded amazing opportunities and I'm just, my plan is to like work as hard as I can until I get really tired and then take a break. Cause I just, that's the, 
that's my plan for, for the next however long it takes for me to get really, really tired. Okay, I sound like your dad or something, but you need to take a breath. I know, I will, I will, I will. And I have, like, I mean, it's... Uh, they, they come in, like, short little bursts, but, yeah. And I, I have to ask, I mean, you're up against another Irishman. It must be a heartache that you get an Oscar nomination and you're both going to wear the Irish flag. How are you feeling I, about There's this? no heartache in that. I mean, like, I'm flying the flag for Colin, to be honest. I think his performance <laughs> in Banshees is just one of my favourites in, in, in quite a while. So, like, to get to be nominated in a category with him is like i take great pride in that yeah well that's admirable humility i have to say lovely to speak to you both and god's creatures is great thanks, thanks very much thank you Emily Watson and Paul Meskel there talking to me about God's creatures. And as I mentioned at the start of the interview, that was recorded right before the Oscars. So Colin nor Paul got an Oscar, uh, which I'm not sure was that fair, to be honest. But let's not get into that now. God's Creatures is on release this Friday, the 24th of March. It is in cinemas as we speak. Up next, another new release, The Return of Keanu Reeves in John Wick 4. And we have a very special reviewer. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now another new release of the week is John Wick 4. Keanu Reeves as the assassin who traverses the globe killing and avenging. Now that's only part of the story because after four years, if you've been listening to this show, every week somebody called Anne-Marie Kane gets thanked for helping on the show. It turns out the aforementioned Anne-Marie Kane is not just wonderful here on News Talk, but she is the biggest Keanu Reeves fan I've ever met. Ireland's biggest, possibly the world's biggest, I'd suggest. The highlight of this week's show is the maiden voyage of Anne-Marie Kane to talk about John Wick 4. And Annie went to the cinema. Firstly, hello and welcome, Annie. John, what an introduction. I am not wordy. Look at us <laughs> sitting in front of the microphone together. I've been up all night working on that. So listen, it's fair to say your love of Keanu runs deep. It does indeed. Um, love his movies. Love him. I love his love of motorbikes. Yeah. I have my own motorbike, um, a Suzuki Intruder 125. So I have this alignment with Keanu with movies yeah. and motorbikes. So yeah, I just think he's a great actor. Um, uh, he is a great actor and he's he's come, he's come become better and he's, he's kind of aware of himself. Have you seen his cameo in that movie definitely maybe oh yeah that is brilliant you know my favourite scene of that yeah. is when he walks into the restaurant and is, is it like a silent disco yeah. you have to just flavour the food get in touch with the yeah. food you can't is it yeah the headphones yeah and he sends himself up brilliantly in it it's brilliant really does. And, yeah. and you have attempted to get him on this show but it hasn't worked out you know, thus far I'm getting closer yeah. you know the seven steps so yeah. do you remember last year we had Jackson Spadell who was his stunt coordinator I think it was on John Wick 3 We inter- John you interviewed was he on the show yeah he was I think know. that was two years ago was, was it? it well yeah, okay. you know. that's so why we did interview him so we're getting closer we're getting closer so you're going to land him soon right? And are we yeah. both going to interview him? Or? No, just me. Okay. On my okay. own. <laughs> Fair enough. I think, well, I think we'll have to talk to Keanu about that. It may not be safe for anyone concerned. <laughs> anyway, so John Wick, Just re- I've only seen the first John Wick movie. Just tell people what's going on in John Wick. Keanu Reeves is an angry man. He is indeed. Okay. In a nutshell, John Wick, ruthless hitman. Yeah. Known as the boogeyman. But there's a great sentence that is said that he's not the boogeyman. He's the person you send to kill the boogeyman. But he became this angry vigilante because his wife and dog died. Is that right? That's right. His um, 
wife died of cancer mm-hmm. and his her parting gift to, to John Wick was a puppy. Okay. And his puppy was murdered by... <sighs> I shouldn't be laughing. The, don't laugh. No, it's sorry, really sorry, sad yeah, scene. No. The um, associates of the Russian mafia. Okay. So he seeks revenge. He wants to get out of the control of the high table. Who's the high table? It's a ruling body of 12 crime lords that govern the underworld most... Uh, powerful organisations. Okay. Right. So he wants to get out of the control. He kind of retired, came out of retirement, kind of like Elton John <laughs> goes in and out of retirement. He wants out. Members want him dead. So it's this tick tack. He wants out. They want okay. him dead. He wants some and that's... people dead. He has a task to earn his freedom. And that's the premise of this film. I can't give any more away. John. No, that's okay. But he wants his freedom. Okay. And can he get it is the question. Okay. So. That's what's happening in John Wick 4. Is there lots of killing and shooting and oh, all John, that in this? John, it's a high octane action movie. Okay. Right. There's car, car stunts, shootouts, sword fighting. There's dogs, there's jiu-jitsu, hard to say. Nunchucks, which I learned about. It is amazing. Now, the movie is two hours, I think, 48 minutes. Okay. It's long. Yeah. And I tell you this, I was sitting for the kind of first main action sequence. I was sitting there with a bucket of popcorn. You don't feel the time going, but it's a long, I say it's over 10 minutes of a fighting scene. Okay. Now you do go, ah, God, he couldn't survive that. You know, typical kind of, I don't know, he, uh, how did he do that? It is full on action, but it's brilliant. And what I would suggest, John, for you listeners, after you've seen John Wick 4, go on to YouTube. It was the training that Keanu and the other cast members mm-hmm. had to undertake for these stunts is full on. So he had to do uh, four hours a day for four months training. And he did car stunts and sword fight. Now you see in the past, John Wick, he did all the tactical training with guns. Mm -hmm. He is just brilliant. He's 58 years of age. When you see him in this movie, he's jumping around. Now again, there's stunts. Stunt stunt stand-ins. Stuntmen. Who we spoke to previously on this show. Two years ago. So um, obviously, but he does an awful lot of stunts. And I want you to take a look at a certain clip. And this is, I'm not, any spoilers here. There's a great car chase around the Arc de Triomphe. Okay. And he learns, you'll see it on YouTube, how to do a reverse, now try this at home, reverse 180 into a forward 270 drift while reloading his gun. And he drops his gun. So he takes on this reverse 180 into a forward 270 drift and picks up his gun. the, the, The doors are gone from the car. So he's turning into this drift and picking up the gun, reloading and shooting. Come on. What's not to love? You see the training in that. So lots of action. Him trying to get out of this high table club. He wants his freedom. You mentioned France. Does it go all over the world? It does. Again, this what helps with, I mean, if there's one thing, when I say the long duration of the movie. It's three hours. Is that what you said? Just under three hours. Um, He, not in any order, Berlin, Paris, Japan, New York. Okay. Um, So yeah, so that helps with the timing. I honestly, and I'm not, I didn't feel the time go. Okay. I sat back and enjoyed. You don't feel that time go. And people who like these movies love them and because they're just wonderful action movies, right? Is there any kind of heart or story in this? Is he still missing his wife? Is he still missing the dog? Yeah, um, like you do, they bring you back flashbacks. So mm-hmm. people that maybe are not familiar with the story, 
see that. So yeah, his wife is referred to it. You, f- you feel that sadness. And there's great cast in it, but these people really stood out for me. So Ian McShane, the wonderful love joy. Ian McShane. Exactly. Do you think everyone who says Ian McShane, somebody somewhere goes love joy? No, just you. Yeah, okay, so he enough. plays Winston. Winston is the manager of the Continental Hotel. Now, this features big in all the John Wicks. And this is a place of refuge for these criminals. So you can go in, check in, no questions asked, there's 24 hour okay. doctors. To and that's where Keanu was. hangs out, is it? That's right. Okay. So he's a manager. And also the wonderful, I know I keep saying wonderful Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, um, yeah. Well, Bowery he brightens King. up any movie. Yes. And what's he? The Bowery, he's the Bowery King. King. Okay. So he features a lot. And with these uh, characters, there's kind of, a, especially with Ed McShane, there's a fatherly son relationship with John Wick. Okay. You see it because, like, not always like that, as you see from previous films. But in this film, you see this fatherly son um, relationship. And we have to mention um, the character of Sharon, who is the concierge of the Continental Hotel, who is uh, Winston's right hand man, played by the late Lance Reddick, who passed away about two weeks ago. So that's like a really sad. yeah, because he was in all the movies, wasn't he? he and he, was he was indeed, in The Wire. Yeah. He was in every so, episode of The Wire. Lovely to see actually. him on the screen, but that's yeah. very, very sad. But these. And tell me this I'm nearly afraid to ask, but what are you going to say, stars wise, for John Wick 4? Now, I want to give a five. Five stars. But can I go 4.9? Yeah, okay. I would feel <laughs> that maybe the length, I mean, you just went, oh, when I said it's nearly just under three hours, yeah. could put people off. Yeah. My recommendation is. This weekend, because it's out now, yes. and over Easter, get a big bucket of popcorn. Don't take any toilet breaks because you don't want to miss any. No, get a big bucket of popcorn. Sit back and, and relax. maybe get a big bucket as well so you don't have to take a toilet break. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the Keep cinema going. owners would like that. Get a big bucket of popcorn. Relax. Sit back. Best part of the movie is the last hour. It's just brilliant. You sit back. I don't want to give any spoilers because that's all it's about. But um, it's long enjoyable sit back relax take it all in so could you watch this one having not seen the first three yes and still enjoy it yes and tell me this so 4.9 I don't think we've ever gotten that as a star rating but hey we've Can never had any on the show I Give it. I think you oh. want to give a four there's not a huge this amount of difference per- between 4.9 and 5 I feel I should be saying something bad but no no it was quite I don't think you're capable of saying anything just, bad well it's not like Keanu Keanu I sometimes say his name wrong even no I just Blinded by great. love. I love his love of motorbikes. I love his acting. I love him as a person. Not love, as in. Love. Well, I, I think you John, might be veering towards I'm there. Tell me at this as a film critic, um, but yeah, great movie, high octane, lot to like about it. Okay, fair enough. And the one last thing I want to ask: you, Is this the last one in the series? I've heard conversations that the director Chad and Keanu sometimes sit down in a bar, they write an idea down a napkin and they ponder and maybe it could be a next movie. So who knows? Okay, so the future's unwritten. Anne-Marie Kane on her maiden voyage gives John Wick for 4.9 slash 5 stars. Thank you, Annie. Thank you very much, John. (laughs) So, you want to kill him? You want to kill him? I want to kill him. (laughs) <laughs> what about you, Mr. Vic? I'm going to kill you. Oh, for better, of course, yeah. <laughs> but it looks like we have ourselves uh, a genuine conundrum. <laughs> a quandary, if you will. A real-life dilemma. <laughs> so, I thought we'd play a game. 
one hand. The winner decides who lives and who does not. <laughs> A clip there from John Wick 4, which is now in cinemas. And it was reviewed by the erstwhile and wonderful Anne-Marie Kane. Up next, novelist Liz Nugent on her favourite movie. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talks, TV and Movie Show. Now it's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite movie. I'm delighted to be joined by author Liz Nugent, whose current and fifth book, the best-selling Strange Sally Diamond, is available in all good bookshops. She joins me now to talk about her favourite movie, which has never been chosen before, I'm delighted to say. Liz, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good, thanks. Now, this film of yours that you've chosen as your favourite movie, based on a book, so I, I, I guess I'm not surprised, maybe, because you're such a writerly person, but tell us what it is and why. Well, the book um, is Perfume by a German writer, Patrick Susskind, and the film is based on that, but when they when they made the film, they had to add a little uh, adjustment to the title, so the film is called Perfume, the story of a murderer, mm-hmm. because they didn't want to give people the wrong impression of it. Because <laughs> if you think you're going to see a, a film called Perfume, particularly for Amer- for an American audience, they're not going to expect the kind of uh, violence and <laughs> and uh, drama that goes on in the actual film. But I absolutely loved it. And I think... Part of the reason why is because even though there's very little dialogue from this main character, Jean-Baptiste Grenouille, um, there's very little dialogue from him, but the story is definitely told from his point of view. The camera is nearly always on him and nearly always on his nose. Yeah. Because as you might expect from a film called Perfume, it's about more than anything, it's about the sense of smell. Well, it's about a killer, but it's about the sense of smell. And, you know, when when you read the book, when I first read the book, and then I heard it was coming out as a film, I just thought, that's never going to... How could they possibly make a film work that is so totally absorbed with the sense of smell? And then along comes this German director, Tom Tickfer, who not only... Um, co-wrote the screenplay but also composed the music and um and directed the film mm. and i just thought it was unbelievable give people a sense of what it's about it's it it's obviously about perfume but it's also about a guy who kills lots of people mm-hmm. okay so this central character granwee is uh, born like abandoned at birth his like the one of the opening scenes is his mother giving birth to him and she literally she's working on a fish stall and there's like it's in a, like it's set in 18th century France I should say so there's just rotten smells like you, you can almost smell the screen of rotting fish and she literally drops down beneath her counter her table at this market gives birth to the baby, cuts the umbilical cord and gets on with selling her fish. And he is kind of left, this baby is kind of left in this vat of stinking fish, you know. And uh, then she, I think she dies very suddenly. Mm -hmm. Um, 
she dies within the like within minutes after giving birth, and that that happens to a lot of people that he comes in contact with <laughs> through the film. They either die or he murders them. Like he has no sort of emotional connection with people at all, apart from when he needs them. It actually opens at the very end where you see that he is on trial Mm -hmm. for something and he's in a town square with a noose around his neck, pretty much about to be hung. And then we flash back to his birth. And that's the scene that uh, sets up the story. Yes. And then lots of killing and fine smells uh, proceed. And Alan Rickman, the late great Alan Rickman, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Ben Wishaw, Alan Rickman, uh, Dustin Hoffman, Rachel Hurd Wood plays the, the, the final murder victim. Um, it, it's just what what struck me most about the film, apart from the story, but visually, it's absolutely stunning. Every single frame. I think they filmed it from what I gather. They filmed it in natural light as much as they could. So all the scenes in the dark, they wanted to replicate what 18th century France would would actually look like. Mm-hmm. So there's very little uh, artificial lighting. A lot of it was filmed by candlelight or with oil lamps. Um, so it's very, it looks incredibly authentic. And the lighting is almost, they, they studied a lot of paintings by Caravaggio and Rembrandt at the time so that they could replicate that look. And almost if you take, if you freeze the film if you're watching the film on dvd or whatever on a streamer if you just pause it at any point it could almost be a caravaggio painting Mm. it's visually a stunning masterpiece (laughs) it sounds really dodgy but there is this mass orgy scene at the end of the film and i think it i think 850 um, people took part in it. I think, you know, 150 of them may have been dancers and then another 100 were actors, but the rest are extras. And they're all naked in this scene. And it is absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a stunningly beautiful scene with all these naked people writhing around each other. They managed to avoid showing any genitals. I don't know how they did it, but there is nothing... It's just a really stunningly beautiful orgy scene. What can I say? It's not a blue kind of scene in any way at all. It's just visually stunning. Yeah. And then you were going to, because we're running out of time with all these fine descriptions, but tell us about, you were going to mention the story then in terms of what happens without giving any spoilers. Okay, the plot um, revolves around Gronwy, who has this extraordinary, superhuman sense of smell. Yeah. But he has no personal odour at all. But he is so strongly attracted to uh, beautiful smells and everything that he ends up working for a perfumier in uh, Paris. And um, he... He discovers that by distilling certain uh, fragrances, he can create more and better perfumes. And he does this for this perfume. And then eventually he realizes that by um, distilling, oh God, he has to murder women, beautiful young women. And it sounds disgusting, but he embalms their bodies with a kind of a, a buttery oil, and then he scrapes that oil from from their bodies and distills it down into this perfume. Mm. And 
finds that this is the most exquisite scent on the earth. And that's that's his that's his motive for the murders. It's not rape, it's not sexual violence yeah. or anything like that. It is to distill the their essence into an exquisite perfume. Mm. You've evoked that, that film brilliantly and uh, I, I, you'd encourage people to watch it by your descriptions. And it sounds like you've watched this many, many times or maybe you just have a great memory. No, the funny thing is I, w- I watched it, I'd say I've seen it maybe 20 times, but yeah. it was only in 2019 that I actually saw it on the big screen oh. because uh, Gronya Humphreys invited me during the Irish Film Festival um, to introduce it at the, you know, to, to, you know, as somebody who, you know, um, I don't know, because I'm not a big film buff. I don't know why she asked, but <laughs> I, I'm very glad to be asked. But um, she asked me to introduce my favourite film. So I sat in the audience with everybody else in the lighthouse and I watched it on the big screen for the first time. Wow. And wow, what a treat that was. Yeah. I mean, everything comes alive even more in the big screen. Absolutely. But having watched it on my, I don't know what my, my screen, kind of an average size television in the house. Um, I got just as much pleasure from that. It's yeah. it's it's visually beautiful. The story is so stirring, and for me, as a, a crime writer who generally writes from the point of view of the murder, it it hit all the right notes for me. Yeah, yeah, I can I can hear that. And and what I know of your work, I'm, it's starting to make sense to me why this movie <laughs> means so much to you. Listen, I, I want to ask you about the latest book in a minute, but en route yeah. to that, we always ask non-film people in this slot, have you ever acted? Now, my understanding Funny is it. you've trained as an actress, but then didn't necessarily do a whole amount of acting. Is that right? I did no acting ever. <laughs> I, think, I think I was... An I was extra. afraid I'd miss something, but no. No, I was an extra in something in... Um, an episode of an Irish language program called Echo Echo <laughs> when I was doing work experience okay. in RTE about oh god it must be 30 years ago now so no I never did any film but I trained I went to the Gaiety School of Acting only for a nine week course okay in 1990 or 91 thereabouts and uh, I loved it I loved uh, I loved I loved the scripts more than the actual acting okay so I realised no, this this was, but, but I ended up in stage management. I worked in theatre yeah. and uh, a bit in film, you know, as kind of trainee assistant mm-hmm. runner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that. But um, no, I and then I ended up working in TV, you know, as kind of admin staff for for many many years. But uh, yeah, I never never acted, never had the courage. Okay, so was it because it, it just it seems slightly incongruous? You would do train for nine weeks or whatever, and did you just? realise afterwards I don't actually want to be on a stage or in front of a camera I want to write well it it wasn't just that I also have a physical disability so there were mm-hmm. very very limited and you know there aren't uh, there aren't many the only character that I can think of who specifically has to walk with a limp like mm-hmm. I do is Laura Glass Menagerie and you know they're not going to be doing that three times a year anywhere like I can't remember when last that play was done in Ireland. So that's that's a good um, point. Yes, my roles were limited, and I, I I was kind of blind to that going into it. Mm-hmm. But you know, I had rationalised in my mind why Lady Macbeth might have a limp or why Medea might have a limp. You know, I had I had kind of I had figured out. I thought I had figured out a way to do it. Yeah. You know, but um, 
also I realized during the course of the acting course that I actually wasn't very good <laughs> not very good at it <laughs> well what, what, what honest assessment of you okay so up to date fifth novel best selling number one I'm told Strange Sally Diamond now I haven't read it and I'm always honest about these things it's on my very full to do list but I heard you talking about it and obviously I've read reviews about it and I thought it was interesting you said it has a protagonist who's actually likeable despite yeah. the fact that she incinerates her father I thought that was a very interesting way of introducing your protagonist do tell us more Okay, that's how it opens. The book opens with her following her father's instructions, who kind of jokingly said, when I die, put me out with the bins. Yeah. And that's exactly what she does. And then, you know, when I was writing it, um, I wanted that to be an opening scene. And then I thought to myself, well, what kind of what kind of person would do that? So I had to develop this character who's kind of atypical, but not in a sort of a diagnostic way. I didn't want her to be autistic or mm-hmm. Asperger's or neurodivergent. I just wanted her to be a bit odd the yeah. way people were before there were labels. Sure. You know, yeah. now there are labels for everything, but I just wanted her to be a bit off beam. You know, she's mm-hmm. she's a bit, you know, she's very antisocial. Um, but she, what she doesn't know until after her father dies is her true origins. She's always known she was adopted, but it's only after she dies that she finds these letters from her father, which not only include his funeral instructions, but also the details of uh, where she originally came from and uh, the reason why she her behavior is atypical and why she remembers nothing until the age of seven. Mm. It's a very traumatic background. Yeah. I was talking to John Connolly in this slot uh, yeah. and I just at the end I was saying to him about the reviews for his last book and he basically stopped me there and said, I, I, I don't believe any of these reviews. If I get a good one, I assume I bought a guy a drink somewhere. He said, <laughs> the reviews for my first book were not just the worst reviews I'd ever gotten, but the worst reviews I'd read for any book. But... Your late, the latest book, uh, Strange Sally Diamond, is getting great reviews. D- does that is that like epiphenomenal? Does it just not bother you, or does it please you? Oh no, I'm I'm very pleased. But you know, I think if you believe the really good reviews, then you all also have to re- to believe the really bad ones. Yeah, you like you can't take anything for granted. I mean, there's there's been some sort of um, like there, my sort of. I know I shouldn't be looking, but occasionally I just have a quick glance at the Amazon kind of reviews and they're all pretty good. Hmm. So I, I, I kind of, and they're better than any of my other books. So I, I think I might just have struck a chord by writing a likable person as opposed to a really dislikable person. Because <laughs> most of my protagonists yeah. have been monstrous characters in the past. And this time I wrote the story from the point of view of the woman who who doesn't present as a victim, who doesn't know that she's a victim, but finds out late in life that she was a victim of a really horrific crime mm. when up until the age of seven. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, there's loads more I could talk to you about. Strange Sally Diamond is available in all good bookshops. Whether she believes them or not, it is getting great reviews. Liz Nugent will also be talking with Sinead Crowley on Sunday, the 26th of March at the Pavilion yeah. Theatre. She'll be chatting about her new book and other things. Tickets are available at paviliontheatre.ie. Her favourite movie, unquestionably, 
his perfume, The Story of a Murder. Liz Nugent, thank you so much. Thank you. You lied to me. How dare you talk to me like that? You said I could capture the scent of anything. And so you can. What do you smell? Basta! It should smell like copper! Enough! You were trying to distill the smell of copper, iron, glass, copper. What else did you try? No. Madame well, Mia, have you gone completely insane? You told me I had to experiment. Experiment? Experiment? With what? With the cat! What kind of a human being are you? Don't you know anything? You could no more distill the scent of a cat than you could distill the scent of you or me. A clip there from Perfume, the story of a murderer. The favourite movie choice of Liz Nugent, who I really enjoyed talking to. And she is in the pavilion tomorrow night, if you're listening on the radio. That's this Sunday, tomorrow evening, the 26th of March, uh, in the Pavilion Theatre. So you can get tickets. Just go to paviliontheatre.ie. That is it for this week. Next week, I'm going to be talking to Paddy Brannock, the man who directed I Went Down probably the greatest Irish movie ever made, who also directed The Dry, the very funny show that's currently on RTE. So I'm looking forward to that. Just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on News Talk. Get in touch with me at any stage during the week. John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. Thank you for listening. Have a safe week ahead and I'll talk to you next week.